We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the county backtracking on a fentanyl harm reduction initiative. Commissioner Mingus Maps announced mayoral run and an apology video from a Portland police officer, plus a highly important detour into the Jonah Hill texting scandal. Joining me to discuss this week's news stories is Willamette Week City Hall reporter Sophie Peel and our very only producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, July 14th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Sophie, John, welcome to once again, Friday Roundup. Friday once again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Sophie. Um, For those who are new, this is the day that uh, we discuss the week's news. And before we jump in, I tend to ask a question of our pundits, uh, because a lot of times people don't know who's in the room. My voice could just sound exactly like John's. That's what I've heard, John, is that we sound exactly alike. (laughs) I'm honored. (laughs) I'm flattered. (laughs) Uh, So the question this week is, uh, it's in honor of of local clothing store Wild Fang and iconic drag cat Bray. Darcel 15 Showplace breaking the Guinness World Record for longest running drag show. Uh, So... Sophie and John, if you had to piece together a drag performance, I don't know why, but this would happen to you. <laughs> why, like, what would your drag performance song be? I will tell you mine so you can gather your thoughts. Mine would be Dance This Mess Around by the B-52s because it makes a lot of sense. It's, they're so drag adjacent already. Like, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I could, I could put on a beehive. That's a good one. I mean, the, what, where my brain was first going was I was following the Mercury's epic uh, running uh, blog of every performance that happened at the Dragathon. <laughs> and there was one drag performer that did their show while eating a cup of yogurt, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. And I was trying to figure out if I could come up with a, a, a strategy sort of piggybacking off of that. And, but, and I couldn't. But actually, Claudia, I'm going to follow your lead. I'm also going to go B-52s, Ooh. but I'm going to go Rock Lobster. Oh, I love that. Which is actually a very long song. It is so And goes through like a lot of different phases. <laughs> and I think that I would have the most amazing drag performance to Rock Lobster that Darcells has ever seen. I love your confidence. Mostly because probably nobody's ever done it. Yeah. <laughs> Not because it'll be good. <laughs> I would imagine. Okay, so... I once saw uh, a very gay man bring up his very sweet coworker, who had clearly never heard this song, to do a karaoke like duet with her. Now imagine someone drags you to do karaoke to a song that you've never heard. That's already kind of hard, but it's a B-52 song and it's rock lobster. Like you could never, 
ever in your head imagine where they're going to go. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to be like, sure. oh, of course, it's going to be like, rock lobster. Like, you're not going to, you're just going to see the words and you're just going to be like, rock lobster. Like, you just, <laughs> so it was a woman trying to sing rock lobster how she assumed it was because she'd never heard it. And this gay guy just like doing the best Fred voice. It was yeah. such a beautiful, tragic train wreck that it actually scared me from doing karaoke for years because I was like, that could happen to me. What about you, Sophie? What would be your drag performance song? Okay, so here's my, I don't think this would work well. I mean, I don't think I'd be good at drag anyways, just because I can't dance to save my life. But um, I think I would do Jackson by Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> also a duet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so peppy. Like, I just love, like, it just gets me going. Sophie, I know how you're going to do this. Split in half. Split in half. I'd sing both. <laughs> half Johnny. Both. Half yeah. June. I like that. Sophie, you would kill it. And you turn oh, side. You. Like, yeah. when it's the Johnny side, and then you turn <laughs> on to this side when it's June. You have so much faith in me. <laughs> oh, my God. That people would, I mean, people would be clutching their hearts. It would be such a good performance. <laughs> Already, oh, Sophie's already beat us both. That's a great song. That's a great performance. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for playing. Sophie, you are our guest here. Do you want to start us off with your uh, headline of the week? Sure, yeah. So um, last week, uh, Willamette Week, our, my colleague Lucas Manfield had, had reported that well, uh, Multnomah County was about to start a program where they were going to start handing out basically smoking supplies for fentanyl users. Mm. Um, they were going to spend $82,000 buying these smoking supplies. Uh, you know, they were going to put them at like basically specific sites with the intent to bring fentanyl users to these specific sites. So basically the county could connect with them and sort of have a basis of communication so they could eventually get them into treatment, whatever. That was sort of the the uh, the the rosy version of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, as soon as we had reported that there was a you know, there was just a lot of outrage. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with there's just fatigue around. I mean, you can walk down most downtown streets in Portland and you can see someone smoking fentanyl. So, um, and you know, it's, it's incredibly deadly. I mean, it's, and those deaths are rising across the County and yet here the County is, you know, handing out these smoking supplies. Um, so in, you know, it included tin foil, straws, pipes, that sort of thing. Wait, Sophie, I just real, I'm curious, was, wasn't the harm reduction also because they were trying to discourage people from shooting up? Yes, that too, because shooting up fentanyl is far more lethal, is my understanding, than smoking fentanyl. So yeah, there's sort of a two-pronged reasoning behind that. Yeah, I just didn't want people to hear me like, the, the city, the county was just handing out drug, you know, drug paraphernalia. It's like, well, it's because right. there, there really was like a genuine harm reduction uh, package to it, yeah. Sure, yes. And that was, yes. So they had two-pronged reasoning. Uh, um, what do you call them? Needle drops, needle exchanges. Those have been proven to be really helpful. Um, you know, anyways, it was, the health department did have reasons behind it. But three days after we had reported on that, Multnomah County um, Board Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson basically said, hey, I'm halting this program. It was rolled out without kind of the proper protocols in place. Um, or proper implementation protocols, whatever that means. It's always a little bit of a squishy term. Um, and they said, you know, we're going to analyze it and then basically putting a pause on it. So it's not necessarily killing it, in, but it's also not saying, okay, we're going to start doing this right now. Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of, it was such an issue for this moment. Like, had this been two years ago, 
we, you know, this might not have even been news that the county was handing out smoking supplies, but just because we are in a time when like fentanyl overdoses are, you know, higher than they've ever been. I mean, I think it was sort of this, I mean, this is a really bad analogy, but sort of right time, right place for this to be a big deal. Um, and for this to really like upset people, I think, you know, uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler came out against it very strongly, like for... <laughs> First, he had said, I'm not going to comment. Then, you know, 15 minutes later, he was like, wait, 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 I want to comment. <laughs> wait, I have a comment. And then that sort of opened the floodgates of everyone else commenting. You know, there were two Multnomah County commissioners that had come out and said, you know, we don't support this. But yeah, city council pretty much came out and to, to varying degrees of like sort of severity, they kind of condemned this thing. You know, most of them sort of couched their statements by saying, we, we do support harm reduction efforts, but this one we don't think really fits into this, you know, into this, uh, I don't know, I guess, definition. Mm. I, I think it's interesting when you, you, you mentioned sort of like the fatigue that people are having over this issue right now. And even in Lucas's story, like Lucas is a great reporter, um, but there was this one line where he said, it's difficult to walk downtown without passing someone in a stoop with a torch and a piece of tinfoil, which like to me just sort of sounds like his fatigue mm -hmm. with this whole situation as well, and right? And it's true, you know, like it's just kind of everywhere. I mean, it really is everywhere. Yeah. And, and it also is something that has just changed so quickly. This other detail that jumped out in that story is that this program was funded by using cost savings from an underspent syringe budget, which to me sounds like they budgeted for a certain amount of IV drug use. And and fentanyl has changed the game so quickly that they actually have a surplus of needles that aren't being used that would have previously been distributed because there's this sea change that's happening so quickly. At least that's how I interpret it. And it's so, that part is so interesting too, because I remember this was probably like three years ago. I was, I, I think I did a story for Willamette Week about how the county was like, it was a big deal that the county was going to halt one of their syringe exchange programs because the need was so high, you know, like within mm. that three year time span, like it was crazy to me that they actually had a surplus. Cause when does, when does anyone have a surplus? You know, when does government have a surplus in spending? When does a county health department have a surplus? Yeah. Right. Exactly. I wanted to go back to something John said, which he said, um, it's true. I think we're all a little tired like we're losing patience and compassion but then I'm like wait so what is the flip side of this like what is being missed if this program shuts down are people really being left in the lurch like is is there more harm that's now going out into this community Sophie I don't know like did I don't know, what made you want to share this story I guess is what I want to know Sophie well I think for me like um I think I'm torn as to whether, like, I don't know if I have the authority to say whether it would have worked or not, or whether this would have actually decreased deaths or, you know, in increased access to treatment for, for those users. But I think what's so interesting to me is, again, like, this story matching the moment of where we're at, you know, and fentanyl is like one of, you know, fentanyl and homelessness, that sort of are the two big things right now in Portland and the county. And for me, I think I take the more political analyst kind of like how how is this a referendum on Jessica Vega Peterson what does it say that you know three days after the health department ruled this out and by all accounts that she was aware of this program prior and then she pulls the rug out from under it and basically kind of blames it on the health department 
for me, I'm wondering, like, what does that do for her chances? I think there was probably a lot of political thinking going on with her and her advisors and her staff about how do we approach this? Um, And I think the same for Wheeler, except I think for him, it was a little bit more straightforward. He had less like political, you know, calculations to do. I mean, he was going to try to uh, you know, ban open drug use three weeks ago. Obviously, he abandoned that. So this one was sort of just like a home run for him, almost. Like, it was it was easy for him, whereas JVP was really in the position of like, okay, do I want to piss off my health department by halting this thing? And do I want to piss off people who are really supportive of harm reduction? Or do I want to piss off a ton of Portlanders who are tired of seeing fentanyl being smoked on the corner? So yeah. I think the politics of it were really fascinating to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes so much sense, Sophie. Um, well, John, uh, what is your headline of the week? Yeah, speaking of politics, um, this is technically a story that broke last week, but I was off work last week, so I'm bringing it this week. Uh, Mingus Maps, officially running for mayor of Portland in 2024. Of course, Mr. Maps is a Portland city commissioner. Uh, yeah. The election is happening in November of next year. It's going to be the first one after we go through all of these changes in our form of government. Um, But yeah, Mingus says he is going to be going after Mr. Ted Wheeler's job, which is interesting because Ted Wheeler hasn't said that he's ruling out a run for office again as well. Um, I've also heard some rumblings that there might be some other commissioners that are eyeing the job as well. Um, But yeah, we're going to see Mingus in a race for mayor. What do you guys think? The thing about Commissioner Maps is that it's long been sort of understood that he was going to run for mayor. Like even as far back as when he ran for city council in 2020, people thought he was going to run for mayor. You know, he's sort of been gearing up to this. Um, And I think what's interesting is like there's not one clear thing, I think, at this point that he can hang his hat on of a big accomplishment. And I think you could say the same for pretty much every single city council person, you know, right now. Um, I mean, yeah. Outrage, if that was a thing that they created. Sure, yeah. But but again, you know, Mingus Maps has had, he's had the Water Bureau, he's had um, Bureau of Environmental Services, sort of mundane bureaus. The one that, the one where I think he really could have made a difference and that is sort of flashy is the Bureau of Emergency Communications, which is obviously 911 first responder system. And with that, mm-hmm. like, you know, he he would claim that he installed some new technology that has actually hastened how quickly, uh, you know, first responders get to calls. There's been some media reports. I think OPB had written a story about within the first six months it had actually, like, increased response time by 500%. Mingus says it's now brought it down. So, you know, it's there's nothing clear that he can say, I did this and therefore I should be mayor. You know, he's sort of always mm-hmm. run or always kind of um, branded himself as very pragmatic and thoughtful and, you know, law and order, but not too law and order. Um, but again, I think when you're running for mayor, I, I mean, not that we, if Ted Wheeler does decide to run again, um, I don't know who would win, but the bar's not, I guess, super high. That sounds a little harsh, but like, it, it, there's not a clear favorite there, I don't think. And speaking of fatigue, I think a lot of people are are just ready for someone new, no matter who it is. I want totally. absolutely no one from the, any anyone from the, I want absolutely no, and this is me speaking as myself, not as, you know, a, a person who uh, attempts to bring you news. CityCast Portland endorsement, no one. <laughs> no one. <laughs> yeah. 
But no, Sophie, to uh, what you said, you know, we had him on and it was he 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 uh, made a case for bringing back uh, traffic enforcement. And a, it took so long to get to what he was saying, if that makes sense. And I think the, mm-hmm. the thoughtfulness, mm-hmm. sometimes maybe that's what he's thinking, his process of, of being thoughtful does occasionally just uh, show itself as wishy-washiness. Yeah. I mean, he's a politician, you know. Um, so Taylor Griggs over at the Mercury had an article where she sort of looked at Mingus coming into this race uh, and had this quote that I want to read. There's a trope with Portland transportation circles that Peabot is where political careers go to die. The three most recent commissioners in charge of Peabot, Joanne Hardesty, Chloe Udaly, oh. and Steve Novick, all lost their re-election campaigns after being tasked with the Transportation Bureau. Um, which is interesting because you take those three former commissioners, those are all like super principled, like focused on issues type of people, and they all lost their re-election campaigns. So maybe this is how you survive. Is that what you're saying? So I don't know. This is this is what I'm positing. It does feel like maybe the commissioners that we have now are not putting their necks out there as much as some people had, because I think we have in the last 10 years had this cycle of all these commissioners coming in, taking really hard stances, then getting smashed on it in the next election and getting voted out of office. I don't know. That's just like my pet theory. And, in, and, you know, Mingus, he inherited or was given Peabot at the beginning of the year. And I think one of the things, one of the attempts I think he's made, and this is just my two cents, but I think one of the attempts he's made to try to set himself apart from like kind of that Peabot um, mark of death is that he's trying to find out a new, you know, he's trying to figure out a new revenue stream for Peabot, whether that's an increased tax, whether that's you know, taking from the general fund, like he he's, but you know, there's almost sort of this desperation to Peabot's long been a money suck, you know, our revenues are going down, our expenses are going up, our deferred maintenance is going way up. And it, it I mean, it's an incredibly hard task to figure out a, a, um, a predictable revenue stream that I could actually like sort of fix our transportation budget. Cause again, we've long been in a deficit and it's only increasing as gas taxes go down and parking, yeah. parking costs go down. Like it, it, it's, and that's not unique to Portland cities across the country are dealing with that. No, it's not. It's a bad situation. And I think Mingus has thrown a couple of things sort of out the wall to see what's going to stick in the past couple months. None of them have. Um, but I, but I think he's keenly aware that like Peabot is not a winning bureau. Um, and it's also not like a fun bureau, you know, like parks, it's also not a winning bureau, but it's fun, right? We've got a $600 million deficit, but it's parks, you know, um, until you get Sophie Peel investigating and finding out (laughs) (laughs) the the lights are getting taken out and all sorts of horrible things happening at the parks. (laughs) Um, but no, like parks are fun and people love parks. People aren't like, I love riding down Stark. You know, like yeah. it's not it's not a sentimental thing. It's not a gathering place. And so Peabot is not like a sexy bureau. And it's also, you know, you talk about traffic deaths. Like that's what people talk about when they talk about Peabot. Well, I don't know, Sophie. I feel like if, if, if you know, Mingus doesn't get to become mayor, it's not because he was in charge of Peabot. I think it's because he was part of this organization. <laughs> <laughs> that everyone is just not that stoked about. Um, and by organization, you mean the city council? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. 
the, the little organization we call city council. Call city government, yeah. No, I think I think just being on the city council in the past four years, it's like a black mark. You exactly. know, it, it's not helpful. Uh, at the same time, it's like, are we going to get fresh faces? We've really struggled to get fresh faces in the past. Um, and again, there is like something, there is like kind of comfort and familiarity, even if we don't like that familiarity, like there is comfort in what we know. And we know Mingus Maps, you know, like we've heard his voice for three years now and we've heard his sort of taglines and same with Wheeler. He's a pleasant man, by the way. When we had him on, he was yeah. so much, I thought he was very charming and very sweet. And I would yeah, wish that pleasant. I didn't mm-hmm. have to ask him questions that weren't fun. You know, we're clearly going to make both of us uncomfortable. We're about pedestrian deaths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about jazz, man. But this is when he lost me. When I was like, what's your favorite Mingus song? You know, Charles Mingus. And he just was like, well, and he couldn't even answer that. And I was like. Man. Because he loves so many. <laughs> I, I took that as like he had the whole Mingus discography going through his head. Not that he couldn't name a Mingus song. No, I mean, I'm not I'm not like that guy. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I named, named four favorite albums. You named after Charles Mingus. <laughs> it wasn't. I just want. You're, you're a little bit that guy, Claudia. You're I'm like, not that guy. <laughs> you're a little bit that guy. Sophie almost did a spit take. I swear she had nothing in her mouth. And John, I will not be insulted on my own show. (laughs) I'm not that guy. I'm a real cool guy. (laughs) I just wanted to hear one song. That's all. I just, I just feel like he politicianed his, he wriggled, politicianed his way out on something that I'm like, just name a song. He was like, I can't even name one, man. And I was like, damn. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back. A police officer's apology. Hey, it's John from CityCast Portland. Let's face it, sometimes bad stuff happens. A serious injury, a catastrophic accident, even a wrongful death. It can really turn your world upside down. And when it does, you deserve unwavering support from a dedicated team. Yeah, you need a lawyer. Dia Moore Law Group has over 30 years of experience protecting the rights of Oregonians. Their team of skilled attorneys, led by the renowned trial lawyer Tom Dia Moore, will work tirelessly to make sure your voice is heard and your rights are protected. Here's what one of his clients said. Tom fights for his clients from the first day they meet him through the last day of trial. So if you need help holding those responsible for your injuries accountable, contact Diamore Law Group at 503-222-6333 or visit diamorelaw.com to schedule a free consultation. They're committed to fighting for the justice and compensation you deserve right here in Portland. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I wanted to share with you guys uh, my uh, headline of the week. And I think it was a, it was a pretty big deal. Oh yes. 
So it's it this this uh this headline comes from the Portland Mercury. It was written by Courtney Vaughn, and the headline is Portland police officer apologizes to photographer struck in the head with baton during 2020 protest. Now that is a very just plain written sentence that holds so much history. Um, but if you guys remember uh, during the Portland summer of like racial justice protests, we had a police riot unit that they were calling, I think it was called the Rapid Response Team, RRT. And it was a special unit that's pretty much the riot police with a fancier name. Um, and they racked up a lot, and I mean a lot of uh, lawsuits because they were aggressive. And this isn't just me, you know, by the way, giving you an opinion. This is like money from the city. Um, they've, they settled lawsuits for like $250,000 plus, uh, at one point, like, you know, through, uh, don't shoot PDX on behalf of five protesters. They've, uh, Erin Wenzel, uh, she was a medic. Her arm was broken by one of them. So this is part of that. Um, the reason why this, the, Police officer Corey Budworth, who was part of this, had to give an apology was because he was being indicted. He was actually charged with a misdemeanor for uh, the baton hit uh, on this uh, photojournalist, uh, Terry Jacobs. So it was Terry Jacobs. Um, it was brought to court. The, uh, there was video evidence. And this is the thing is that there was video of, of showing this, per, of this, this officer hitting um, this photojournalist to the ground, and then once she was already on the ground, being hit yet again um, on the face with the baton, which is, and not just like, boop, you know, but like full on hit force, you know? So the city, I mean, they were just like, yeah, man, like this happened. There's video proof. It was excessive. She was complying. It doesn't make any sense. So he got uh, a charge. And then what ended up happening was everyone in this police riot, you know, everyone in the rapid response team like quit. So I'm just giving some background of like where this is going. So you have a, a police officer that is facing a misdemeanor charge. Um, you have now uh, the RRT that's been disassembled by their own members because they're upset that some one of them has a charge. And then you have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that the city had to pay out in lawsuits from all of their, uh, you know, policing during the protests. Mm. So what they ended up working out was, I don't, have you heard of this term, Sophie, restorative justice? It's supposed to be, what I'm saying is restorative justice isn't just something that's just like, oh, mm, oh, let's just try this. It's like, no, it's been proven. It really does heal certain communities. It's supposed to like, at a certain point, make our punitive system slightly less punitive. But when it's a cop, <laughs> it just feels a little askew. But essentially what they ended up making, uh, what ended up happening was they're just like, hey, instead of going through with this misdemeanor charge, we're going to have this officer apologize to Terry Jacobs. And they made a video. And the audio of the video, and it sounds like a hostage situation. Definitely reading a script, very monotone, possibly under duress. Um, but that's what it sounds like. So I wanted to play a little bit of it just so we could hear what I'm talking about. Hello, my name is Officer Corey Budworth. I am recording this today to apologize to Terry Jacobs. I understand the harm that was caused was not limited to Ms. Jacobs and was felt by others in the community when there was a great distrust of law enforcement. As a Portland police officer, I want to apologize for my contribution to any loss of trust to that community that I serve. 
Throughout this experience with Ms. Jacobs and the RJ process, I am committed to use what I have learned to help make positive changes throughout the Portland Police Bureau. The whole apology is like a minute and 14 seconds. And, he, and here's the deal. I'm not complaining about this, about restorative justice, about, the, you know, this police officer possibly expanding his worldview. What I'm not, uh, what I'm confused about isn't that. Because even uh, Terry Jacobs was like, this was actually really helpful for me as well. Like everybody on both sides were just like, this was really cool. Let's consider this. And just to also just put it out there, uh, Terry Jacobs still got a settlement of $50,000 plus 11000 in attorney fees. So it's not like she walked away with just an apology, like the city had to pay her out as well. But the reason why it struck weird to me is because since I have been like hearing about restorative justice within communities of color, specifically being targeted by the, you know, by uh, a punitive system that isn't always fair to hear it used for a historical aggressor within that system <laughs> feels a little odd to me. I don't know if this just means, um, oh, now they're taking the language of something. It just reminds me a lot of like the Jonah Hill text where you're just like, oh, some guy went to therapy and is now using the same language to weaponize his, his uh, misogyny or to weaponize his like control over another person. And I'm just like, I hope that's not what happens with distortive justice in the system that we're creating here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's interesting. And, you know, I, I find restorative justice really interesting as a concept. Um, I mean, I guess I'd say, like, I stand with, like, what's meaningful to Miss Jacobs, mm -hmm. you know? Um, would it be more meaningful if Mr. Budworth was in jail? Like, like, what is it that's going to, like, help Jacobs get the sort of resolution to this really unfortunate situation that she needs. And like, I can see why, uh, like a really direct apology could, could be meaningful to someone. Like, I, I, I really like the idea of asking people who, you know, have had crimes perpetrated upon them, what it is that they want, you know, um, it's a way to prevent them from being just a quote unquote victim. It gives them agency. Um, and like, I'm actually all in favor of it, you know? And, and, and I also think that like for us to like really publicly look at something that happened as a crime and, and have, you know, if Mr. Budworth had, you know, had a, 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 a short sentence in prison, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. You know, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So like if this is something that is getting us to reflect on, you know, this, this violence that happened and and acknowledge that it was not OK, then to me, that's a win, too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm more saying, John, like I'm not like at all like I'm upset about this. No, it's more of like, what does this mean? Oh, I totally hear you. Because that's what I'm saying. I'm like, no, hey, FYI, Terry Jacobs. It was totally cool. Everyone walked away kumbayaing after this. Everybody was stoked. Mm. What what alerted me, and I think it was also just the the whole virality of jo of Jonah's text. <laughs> it was just like, no guys, now they know the language. I totally miss Jonah's text. I totally like missed this. Oh, you moment. did. Oh, John. <laughs> oh no. Here we go. Where have you Left been? Turn. No, fill me in. It's the only thing I've read in the past week. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, you don't know anything about his text. I, I, Sophie, I, do you want to tell him real quick? So last week, his ex-girlfriend, who I think like it was two years ago that they were together. She's like a surf instructor, you know, pretty like very, you know, she's a beautiful woman, whatever. So she posted a bunch of their text threads on her like Instagram stories. That was basically him uh, like telling her 
like, I can't believe you would post these photos of yourself. First of all, these photos are like her in like a wetsuit. These are not like she's wearing a thong and nothing else. Like she's literally in a wetsuit on like a board. And he was like, this is disrespectful to our relationship that you would post. Like, why do you need to post these photos and like have validation from men? And then he also basically made her like vet the men that she was going to be hanging out with professionally to make sure that they were like, you know, anyways, it's really fucking controlling and creepy. But overall... It was used. The thing is, he didn't just say it like that because that would have been really clear and just like, oh, this guy's kind of a dick. No, he was just like. He he victimized himself. One of my boundaries. (laughs) He just, he came about it in this like, I've been to therapy and I'm going to use all these words that I learned in therapy to control you. (laughs) And that's what she was. Yeah, which made it it so much creepy and weird. Because like what what Sophie just did was she just read through the bullshit and told you exactly what he said. But he was very manipulative. Very insidious. And it took her a while to be like, you can't weaponize therapy against me. Like, you're not my therapist. Mm. You're not, you're like, what are you doing? Well, anyhow, mm. sorry, you guys. I really did like, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but Sophie, thank you. Thank you for explaining the Jonah Hill text to John. <laughs> I have lots to say about pop culture. <laughs> I have less to say about uh, real things. I think you need to switch your beat, Sophie. <laughs> I know. Your face lit up when I said Jonah text. But anyhow, I mean, that was, that was essentially my, uh, the thing that really just stuck out this week was, um, one, I'm just really happy to hear that something is happening aside from just the city paying a ton of money um, and that that mm-hmm. there is some actual work that is happening because this man didn't just apologize. He actually had to hang out with Terry Jacobs, like had to face her. That's the whole point of restorative justice is that you have these moments together where you're seeing eye to eye on like, this is how you affected me. This is how this worked. Mm -hmm. I really wish, like, I know what happens, what happened in that room between them is like, you know, between them and probably a private thing. But I really, I feel like I would be less skeptical that he actually learned if I had been privy to that conversation between them. Because like a public apology video, you know, of course it's going to be scripted. Like, you know, I don't think he's probably going to seem stiff. I wish I could have been in that Mm -hmm. room because I feel like I would have had a better gauge then to feel like if I thought it was sincere that he had actually learned from her and like heard what she had to say, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I'd have a little bit more faith in that. But, you know, it sounds like she thought it was genuine. Well, John, do you have anything else to add? Um, No, I mean, just the video was brutal. You know, I went back and, and, and looked at like the videos that this whole thing stemmed from and like it was gnarly. And, you know, I think... I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I feel invested in this because we're journalists. Like, we have a lot of friends that were there in those protests that were just trying to do their jobs and that suffered a lot of injuries. So I'm happy to see anything coming out of this in terms of resolution in all sorts of different ways. Agree. But also, squinty eye. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a little squinty eye, too. A little squinty eye. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Claudia, before we wrap, um, I just want to jump in and, like, acknowledge a couple weeks ago... Uh, I flubbed a point and conflated 311 and the city's non-emergency line. You remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah. The AI, right? The AI thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're both super good and important city services, but like I had them twisted in my mind. They're actually different. 311 is like sort of the first point of contact for like non-emergency situations where you don't need like a police, fire, ambulance. 
whereas non-emergency is more for situations that like aren't an immediate threat, but that eventually you might still want emergency services to be dispatched. So distinction between them, um, there's a great write-up that the city has on their website. I'm going to throw that into the show notes of today's episode, breaking down those differences. Well, thank you so much, Sophie and John, for being here. Appreciate you guys uh, hanging with me this this Friday. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Claudia. Always a pleasure. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs> <laughs>